Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, July 5th, a Monday show for you. It's been a heck of a week and weekend for the two of us. And I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? Yeah, it's been a minute. I'm doing well. I had a great Canada day, um, a solid weekend, been out and about uh, in the park a little too long is why we're recording this on Monday, but I've enjoyed myself, rest, reset, and ready to go. How are you doing? I was feeling over the moon. I had a great weekend up at the cottage here uh, near Tobermory, Ontario, for those of you listening, and just a great relaxing weekend, long weekend, of course, with Canada Day, uh, and then Independence Day, I guess most being celebrated today with our friends south of the border. Uh, my new TV came. I uh, Max, I hadn't updated you on this, but um, my mother works for hospital for sick children in Toronto and they were doing a fundraiser silent auction and uh I was the winning bidder on a 60 inch uh (laughs) smart tv from LG um not gonna disclose the number but I did get it less for less than retail price um which was huge and now I have this absolute unit sitting in the corner of my apartment and uh I've tried it out a couple times and really solid. I'm really happy with it. Definitely an upgrade from what I was working with before. And I cannot wait to watch more sports on it. Uh, so feeling really good. And then of course, this uh, haircut debacle, we were supposed to record about an hour um, ago, start recording at least and uh, had a really long wait for those who don't know Ontario, just into phase two of the reopening plan, stuck waiting almost an hour for a haircut because everyone was clamoring to get one as they were finally allowed. So um, it's dampened my mood a bit, but now I'm feeling better that I'm seeing your beautiful face and we get to talk some sports. So I'm feeling good again. Looking fresh as well. Kind of defeats the point of a silent auction, but you know, your mom kind of cheated you out of an excellent TV. So now you (laughs) cheated her company out of silent auction. Uh, Exactly. You can get the most out of that 4k next gen console as well now. Oh yeah. FIFA's looking fresh. Oh, man. I uh, finally finished my like three week project of grinding the 2K season for that invincible Luka Doncic. So. The same Luka Doncic who has led his team to their first Olympic berth in the country's history. So, shout out there. We didn't have that in our notes, but big accomplishment. He had a triple double in that. And uh, in an interview, mentioned that he believes a gold medal for Slovenia would be a higher accomplishment. Um, in his opinion, over an NBA championship. So Dallas Mavericks fans, um, you don't have a killer on your team. Might be time to trade him to a worthy destination. Another maybe international destination that could really use his talents. Yes, uh, someone did not read the show notes too carefully as it (laughs) is in there, but more on that later. Also with some baseball, the Montreal Canadiens may be getting swept tonight. Reports on that after the game basketball the nba finals coming up tomorrow potentially some combat corner haven't gone over that eight days of no euro cup updates all that and more coming up but first we're going to start with tennis manic monday just wrapping up at wimbledon (laughs) an amazing day for canadian tennis and we're gonna start with that wimbledon I'm going to kick off with the biggest, most consistent storyline, or we're going to kick off with something else first. I would like to take this opportunity to first thank the Academy and second, take a victory lap on my Canadians turning it up for Wimbledon take. Um, I'm not always right. I'm actually rarely right, but I would love to take this opportunity to savor this moment. Felix and Chapo, love you guys. Okay, Max, the floor is yours. Yeah, more on them later. All things in their due order, though, and the number one name synonymous with Wimbledon with Grand Slams is the Wolfman himself, Novak Djokovic. There's not that much to say about his Wimbledon. He has been breezing through it. 
He has dropped exactly one set so far in the four matches he played, the first set. So on a 12-set straight tear right now, I think he's had maybe one tie break in there. Just, I don't know if you heard about this, Owen, but after the one game that did, I think, go to tie break, when asked, he said, I channeled my wolf energy. When asked to elaborate, he talked about exploring Serbian mountains after bombs dropping on his house, uh, seeing wolves in fairly close proximity and being terrified, but feeling some sort of closeness with them. And that's the sort of energy the number one tennis player in the world and of all time is channeling at the moment. He hasn't faced any true seeded top 10 opponents yet, and he might not until the finals. But until then, he's just been breezing through. On Wednesday, he will play Fuchevich, who took out Rublev, uh, Fuchevich being the last unseated player among the eight or technically nine that are still standing as of the time of recording. It was a back and forth five setter, but he gained a ton of momentum in the fourth set going taking it six nothing won the next three games in the fifth set and it was just too much of a momentum break for rublev to really recover Uh, he had a couple chances there but you could tell he was just in his own head and a couple of unforced errors couldn't bring his game to the highest level the ceiling that's meant to be at or that he can reach sometimes after such a mental collapse uh Hard to imagine Fuchovic will be able to repeat such an upset against Djokovic and will likely mean Djokovic has one more easy two, three-hour, three-set match. So we'll see about that on Wednesday. But what we're most looking forward to over here at Sports Next Door will be two matchups on Wednesday. First, Denis Shapovalov. Uh, coming... It's funny, Dennis and Felix have kind of reversed where they were at at the start of this tournament. Dennis had an incredibly difficult, tight, scary match one, but he really hasn't looked back since taking out the eighth-seeded Baptiste Ajou in just three sets. Uh, I slept until 10, so I woke up and Chapeau was already up two sets to none. I think it was around the 2-3 mark there. But what I saw from Chapeau, I absolutely loved. The most impressive, amazing thing was he did not rush anything. He Every rally, he just took his time, was playing these really safe offensive points, just smacking the ball. Didn't matter forehand, backhand, but getting a ton of power, a ton of kick, but middle of the court, not going for anything too risky until he saw his opening. And then he was taking those shots. And hitting winners, I think, at like a 70-80% efficiency win rate, I'd say, once he got the rallies under his control. And almost every rally, he was able to get under his control because either his serve was firing and that was doing excellent work for him or his serve return was on point because that backhand of his, I said it and saw it in the Murray match, but saw it again today. His one hand backhand is so good at controlling the serves that the opponents send to him. And a lot of points he was able to get under control with that backhand and then turn it into a rally and then find his winner from there. It was tight. He, it took him several tries and that was my second favorite thing. He, Every half stumble did not accumulate or compound into it being any worse than it needed to be. There were a ton of points where he could have put it away uh, on a break point, didn't credit to his opponent, of course, but the chapeau, the unforced errors, the double faults, that's the biggest worry a lot of the time with him and really just that's all mental and not letting one of those turn into five of those and let a set slip away is one of the biggest things. One of the commentators pointing out that, man, I think it was four, four and like Chapo's eight points away. But if he loses this, the next eight points, then we have a match on our hands like that. It's so crazy about tennis. Uh, That confidence and ability to just calm down, reset, most on display, winning the match. He finally gets up 
uh, or not winning the match, but breaking for the match. He gets up a 1540 lead, has an easy forehand put away like mid range, slams it is like long by a mile, but just calms down, plays the next point, excellent return, and then makes a shot that's like five times harder, <laughs> a beautiful backhand in the corner that again, no hope of the opponent getting gives him the opportunity to serve for the match and then serves beautifully to send it out. So a huge momentum shift from Chapo that like, that's what you want to see. He's improving as the tournament has gone on. He will also, I think have a fairly good chance to reach the semis as he's going to be playing Kashinov, Kasharov, um, 25th seeded Russian player who went five sets with uh, an American, the American Horda, who is on the rise, but a really excellent opportunity here for Chapo. The excellent opportunities end there, though, as if he does make the semis, he will be playing Djokovic. So, looking forward to Wednesday from Chapo, and who knows, I. We'll talk about the Djokovic matchup if and when we get there. Then on the other side of the draw, the other Canadian, Felix Auger-Alessime, also moving on to the quarterfinals. Tougher opponent, less impressive performance. A really back and forth five-set match. The biggest, best takeaway, as Felix said, his best win, biggest win in his career. And what's most important about that is when they got to the finish line, he didn't choke, he came through. And that's so big for him. He definitely earned the win. But it was a really <laughs> just nail-biter, awkward, topsy-turvy, bizarre match. Um, so many opportunities for momentum for both players and neither was really able to keep it somewhat due to their other's strong play, somewhat due to their own mistakes, shooting themselves in the foot. And ultimately, I think Zavera shot himself more in the foot. The double faults, a huge narrative in this match. Um, it started off it, with a really consistent pattern in the first two sets where Felix would stumble on an early service game in the set. Zverev went up 4-2 both times, then double faulted to get Felix a break tied back up on um, just towards the end of the second set it seemed like both were stepping into their momentum felix both serving well felix fought out a gutsy tie break that was back and forth both having an opportunity to close out the set and he's up two sets to nothing uh, the announcer is bringing up the australian open fourth round where he was in the exact same situation against Karatsev and ultimately lost in five sets. Sure enough, Zverev really finds his serve, uh, stops double faulting, and Felix continues to have one bad service game early in the set to give up the third set, give up the fourth set. Suddenly we're tied 2-2. The momentum's going all Zverev's way get a rain break or no excuse me uh, first game in the match in the set Zverev gifts Felix three double faults and a really um, easy second serve couldn't really have been easier the serve continues to hold Felix comes this close to breaking Zverev again they go back and forth in a deuce Zverev hangs in takes it and then breaks Felix back just by like he suddenly is returning Felix's serve amazingly taking all these really tough forehands backhands and raising the level of play to a point where they're unforced errors from Felix but they are really forced because if he doesn't take the ball that hard and that aggressively, Zverev is going to find a winner sooner rather than later. And suddenly the momentum's right back to being duff, dead even, edging Zverev's way, putting the pressure on Felix's serve. Felix barely survives a deuce to get a hold. 
And then Zavere stumbles, shoots himself in the foot again, double faults, gives a really weak second serve, the double faulting, like I said, a huge issue for Zavere of all match. But one of the interesting things he decided was like, all right, well, if my second serve's not going in at 90 miles per an hour, maybe I should just try it back at 130 something miles per an hour, which is roughly 200 kilometers for our Canadian listeners who can't do the mental math on the spot like me and had to think about that for a minute. So down 1540, Zverev incredibly gutsy, goes for it on his second serve, puts it in at 132 miles per hour. But Felix gets the return, just like Zverev did earlier, uh, raises the level of play on the rally and ultimately Zverev hits net. And then we saw like a rinse wash repeat of the chapeau putting it away felix starts off really well gets himself two match points uh, easy one easy put away on the first one butchers it but second one gets to the net just has to take a half step back very easy for an athlete like him and puts the smash volley home and i have never felt so relieved in my life watching tennis it was such a nail biter back and forth match where both played so well at times and kind of poorly at times, but you know, it was really mental, especially on Felix's end, having been in this exact situation at the Australian open, have, playing a guy like Zverev who he's lost to and never taken a set off of um, looking to make a new grand slam personal best by making it into the quarters all this pressure on Felix and he manages to pull it off. I, I think it's huge that second serve return on Zverev's 132 mile per hour serve. That's really the deciding point that won Felix the match and he earned it. Like I said, at the beginning, talking about this match, congratulations to Felix. Uh, I'm so proud. I know Owen's so proud. My friend who grew up in the same Canadian junior tennis system and has like watched Felix play at tournaments growing up is through the roof. Uh, it's such an awesome manic Monday for Canadian tennis. Unfortunately, he's going to be up against Matteo Berrettini, who has probably had the second best Wimbledon run only after Djokovic the man himself likewise has only dropped one set so far in his four matches of play and he's just a man built for grass tennis you saw him give Djokovic hell in the French quarters off really just a serve and a forehand so you know if it was that damaging on clay it's going to be so much more lethal on the grass and so far it has been. He also was the winner of the Singe tournament a couple weeks back, so hasn't lost on grass yet this season, and it's going to be a really tough matchup for Felix, but hopefully the Berrettini, the kind of opponent who raises Felix's level of play, I think back to his uh, Miami Open matchup against Isner, a match he ultimately lost, but that went to tiebreak both times where neither dropped the serve. Hopefully we see an amazing server bring out the best in Felix's serve. Uh, last note, it would be criminal to not to talk about Wimbledon and not talk about Roger Federer. Had a bit of a shaky, questionable start at Wimbledon, first match, um, being tied 2-2 going into the fifth, his opponent retiring due to injury and sort of gifting Federer that one with the momentum going his way but since then he's really looked good i think also only dropping one set in the next three he's played went through quite easily today uh, he would face the winner of the felix berrettini matchup if he gets through his next which will either be medvedev or the polish herkaz which was suspended today due to rain uh, Medvedev up two sets to one at the moment so that will be wrapped up early tomorrow morning and we'll see who Federer plays you at this point you really can't go wrong with a storyline whether it's Djokovic Shapovalov facing a Felix a Bar 
a Tini, a Federer, maybe a Medvedev, but all the top guys. A Felix Chapo would be the number one potential finals matchup, of course. Uh, for me, Djokovic playing either Berrettini or Federer in the finals would either be second. But it's been a fantastic first week and a day at Wimbledon and really looking forward to the rest of the tournament. That's all for now. We will be back after a quick break. And we're back, Sports Next Door, myself, Max, with me, Owen, taking a longer break than normally since last time you hold up, heard us. We just finished watching the first period of the Habs Lightning game. But we're not going to talk about hockey at the moment because we've got other things on the docket. First up, the Euro Cup. Owen, what's going on there? Yeah, so um, a, a very long week since we've chatted about the Euro. Uh, we went through the round of 16 and the quarterfinals in that week uh, with a couple of really, really fun stories. Uh, Switzerland getting a huge upset over France in penalties and then almost pulling off that same magic against Spain, but just coming up short. Uh, we had Belgium beating Portugal and then uh, losing to Italy in their quarterfinal match. And then England is the big story. I think they break their curse against Germany. A lot of history between those two and and some poor results, but they finally break through Harry Kane, who had not been on the score sheet, had not had many touches of the ball, finally scores. And then what do you know? He's got two uh, in their 4 nothing thumping of Ukraine. And uh, they have a date set up with Denmark, who is also a really fun story, somewhat a team of destiny. Uh, they're some would say most experienced. They're probably their best player goes out in horrific fashion in their very first match. And now they are in the semifinals against England. And the last time these two teams played, Denmark actually got the better of England in the uh, League of Nations Cup. So it will be a fascinating match. It's, it's not a throwaway. Um, I think what we got to look for here is England has not conceded a goal yet in the tournament. Um, really, really clean football, uh, clean defensive football. And of course, they've got the flair and pizzazz to really create on the offensive end. They've got a really good shot here. Um, and then, of course, on the other side, it's a battle of heavyweights between Italy and Spain. Um, two clubs that had a ton of success in the early 2000s, uh, of course, with Italy taking 2004, Spain taking 2008 and 2012 World Cups, I believe. And so um, really strong programs that had uh, about an eight year hiatus where Italy missed the Euros uh, the last time around. Um, but they've rebuilt and they're ready to rock and roll. And one of them is going to be in the finals of the Euro uh, after a bit of a uh, down period for them. So really, really exciting stuff. I'm looking forward. Italy, Spain, absolute cracker tomorrow. And then, of course, England, uh, all their fans singing it's coming home. And, and could it finally be the case? It's been, oh, what, like 80 years since England's won an international competition. Um, really, really exciting stuff right now uh, in the football world. Not sure England should be allowed to win the Euro Cup anymore, but that's probably a matter to be debated. <laughs> very true, very true. Uh, does Brexit make this title uh, ineligible? It's a Mickey Mouse ring that's for England. Reverse Brexit, actually. <laughs> the Euro Commission said, like, England wins. The Euro Commission says, cool, doesn't count. You don't get the cup. And then they hold another referendum. I bet this gets uh, reversed. Officially reverses the consummation of Brexit. That would be fantastic. <laughs> All right, that's it for the Euro. Uh, two awesome matches. And then, of course, the final coming up later this week. And I'll be around to break that down for you. But now... We will move into another exciting finals coming up, and that is the NBA finals kicking off tomorrow. The Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. The stage has been set. Chris Paul with an absolute legacy game to close out the Clippers series. Uh, one of those games that really launched him up uh, leaderboards in terms of the all-time greats. He had never made it to a finals and the fact that he did it in a fashion where he was, I'm the number one guy and I'm taking over this game and we are not losing. It's, it's top 40, top 30 player of all time type stuff. Um, really, really impressive from him. And then on the other side, no Giannis, uh, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, all those guys step up. 
um, a, a really important game for Middleton, a uh, couple of games, and, and the Bucks are managing to get through there. Uh, Trey Young, a shell of himself, really tough. That injuries derailed that series. Um, pretty unwatchable game five and six, to be frank, where there's not a lot of star power. Um, probably one of the worst couple of Eastern Conference Finals games we've ever had, again, to be frank, but that's okay. Uh, early indications say that Giannis is trying his hardest to be back for game one. I think it's, I think they're getting ahead of themselves with the buzz, and I think they're trying to play a little um, strategic game here with Phoenix, making them expect him. They're never going to rule him out until right before the game. You got to make the other team game plan, right? Uh, I say he misses game one, but I do think it's likely that he's back in game two based on all the indications we're seeing in the news. Yeah, that injury stopped me from watching anything else in the series. I turned one, whatever game that happened on and it happened within five minutes. I really interesting how Milwaukee was able to step it up and Brooke Lopez, especially it sets up. We said at the point in the semis before any either side was decided, there's no losers here or the fans are the winners, no matter who ends up going. And I think that's exactly what happened with this Phoenix Milwaukee lineup. And there's still enough star power to have some really interesting matchups here. Giannis, you've got to think, will be making an appearance at some point or another. Aiton, obviously the big matchup with him. Even no Giannis, I think Lopez will still be the biggest, most solid center that Aiton's been matched up against thus far in the playoffs. Um, Chris Paul, Drew Holiday, another one I'm really intrigued about. I know... Chris Paul won them that game, but I think he was a big part in losing them the two games before that. So I'm really curious which of two ways it goes. I think the Phoenix, much like Milwaukee played after the Giannis injury, was actually playing better before Chris Paul came early until he had that huge game. A lot of like ISO mid-range stuff. And then Booker Middleton the two like best pure scorers probably on either team when they're hot, who's going to be more hot, who's going to be more consistent, your thoughts on the matchups. Yeah. I, th I think the, the key matchup in this series is going to be Booker Middleton. Um, the, the big turning point of the Eastern conference finals was that Middleton officially took over and just beat Herter in that matchup. And since Bogdanovich and Trey young were incapacitated with injuries, that was what swung it for Milwaukee. He was great on both ends um, and he's going to have to be great again. He, I imagine he'll be the primary defender um, in, in clutch situations. You'll see a lot of Connaughton on Booker, but really like Middleton is built well to, to defend Booker. And if you've got holiday guarding Chris Paul, oh, that's going to just be awesome two-way action between all four of those guys. Um, but it's definitely going to be a duel of the backcourts, especially in game one, where I imagine Giannis won't be playing. Um, this is a series where you're kind of happy with either result as a neutral observer. Um, a lot of people aren't happy with Chris Paul's antics, of course, like he is a notorious flopper. Um, but in the end, he's, he's one of those guys, like maybe not on the same degree, but you could run down the list of a Joe Thornton, a Patrick Marlowe, if we're talking hockey, like, and then in basketball, you could even say uh, another Phoenix point guard in Steve Nash, right? It's one of those guys who's had a, historic hall of fame worthy career they've stacked up all the accomplishments but are missing that elusive title and the fact that chris paul was written off after that houston Rockets season uh, like two years ago and everyone no one wanted to trade for him he goes to oklahoma city doesn't make a fuss has like just an awesome season with a really fun young group of guys and takes the Houston Rockets to seven games in the bubble, um, really professional class act. Then he chooses to go to Phoenix over like creating a super team with uh, the other options that were out there. And again, he, he brings his culture and attitude to this Phoenix Suns team. And you can see it's, he's imprinted on all of them. Um, and so you, I would be tremendously happy for him if he managed to do it now uh, at his age. And then on the other side, Giannis, the emerging superstar, right? This is the face of the league for the next 10 years, hopefully 
um, with the way that he plays and, and just like how amazing and humble this guy is like truly coming from nothing in Greece and not taking anything for granted. He never changes personalities an absolute goofball. Um, and he'd like, anyone asked him, he's like, the biggest thing that ever changed for me was I finally was able to eat. Like they actually fed me new, nutritious foods. And that's why he was able to really grow into his body. You look at 2014 when he was drafted, absolute stick figure to what he is now and um, couldn't happen to a better guy. So definitely lots to root for in this series. And I, I in the end, for me, it's, it's going to come down to Giannis. And, and because he is the best player in this series, if he is fully functional, um, Phoenix has Bridges, Craig, uh, Crowder, even Sarich and Aiton maybe to throw at him, but they don't, this was the worry you had if you're Phoenix facing the Lakers with AD and Braun is just, you don't have that big wing, wing defender and not many teams do. Um, there's not really anyone who could stop Giannis. And so if Giannis is back to 80%, then it's going to be a really tough time for Phoenix. Otherwise, again, it's a battle of, of teams that uh, play well on a string together, lots of chasing around on the perimeter. And uh, I would give the Suns the edge without Giannis, especially with just the creation and, and the slow pace that they operate at. If they can slow the game down, work in the half court, it'll benefit them immensely because Milwaukee's offense really sputters in the half court, as we saw against Brooklyn. Um, and of course, and I also give the coaching edge to Monty Williams because of his ability to make adjustments, what he's been able to do this season has been really remarkable and, and Budenholzer, despite, um, the crap that we give him, he made adjustments in that Atlanta series and, and now they've made it to the finals. He's finally gotten over that hump. So maybe, uh, he realizes now that the adjustments have worked and he's willing to, to go with them a little bit more here into the finals, but it's, it's a really even series even on paper, um, even morality wise, there's not really a villain to root against. Uh, yeah. If, if you are a, a truly anti Chris Paul guy, you could. you don't have to be an anti Chris Paul guy. <sighs> yeah. It's five years ago. I would agree, but the age he's at now, it's almost like he's matured out and, and the quote unquote flopping is almost like a veteran savviness. It's why so many Toronto fans love Kyle Lowry is, um, he does some stuff that sometimes makes you shake your head, but also some stuff that you just love to see the other team's players just get so frustrated with some of the stuff that he's able to draw. Um, yeah, in, in that regard, I really, it's going to be tough for me to choose this one, but I'm going to have to do it by the end of this segment. <laughs> yeah, I'm really happy Chris Paul won them that game with like seven three-pointers made and two free throws made. Otherwise, I'd feel a lot more strongly. And Devin Booker gets as many foul shots as Chris Paul, if not more, a lot of the time. But he gets them by driving layups. I, yeah, I, what I've seen from Chris Paul in this playoffs has not endeared me to him whatsoever with a lot of the just, man, I hate it so much. We, we talk about it. I can't talk about basketball and not talk about it. And it really, it does ruin my ability to cheer for the Suns in this matchup. I'm going with the Bucks. I I think Aiton with Giannis's tendency to be best in the paint is going to be a huge defensive asset against him. I, I think the little, whatever speed advantage Giannis has Aiton is going to be able to mostly neutralize by not having to pick him up until he really steps across the foul line and in, and he's fast enough to stay with him those two, three steps before Giannis would really get by him. I mean, Giannis, I'm sure, will still be good for a lot of points a night, but I think the it might have been the best thing for the Bucks to be going into this series, having learned to play without him. If Middleton, if Holiday, if Lopez can all keep their production and ability and confidence where they had to get it to win those last two games, and Giannis can come in and complement them, fit alongside them, Lopez can keep getting points in the paint along with Giannis the way 
that was and not just be a three-point spacer i'm going bucks and that's probably a fair amount of heart because i also love the storyline of player signs with the small town market team that drafted him and then goes to win a, win a ring that year so that's my prediction i'm going bucks all heart all right well i hate to go against you but i am i am going to lean to the suns here and and I think what really sealed it for me is, well, A, Giannis unsure of what his status is, and that's a huge piece for them. Um, but then the next thing is, is this Atlanta series kind of distracted us from the fact that this Bucks offense looked dreadful against the Brooklyn Nets, a, a team that didn't play a ton of good defense, and Atlanta seemingly played worse defense um, and just didn't have the guys to to put in front of Booker or pardon me, in front of Middleton, in front of Holiday, in front of Lopez. But this Suns team is an incredibly strong defensive team. And they have – Chris Paul is a solid defender. He's been an all-defensive player before many a time. But then you've got Bridges and Crowder that you can throw at Middleton um, and you can throw at Giannis. And then you've got Torrey Craig. You've got Campaign. You've got guys that just fight on the defense side of the ball. And then, of course, the – impressive rim protection and disciplined rim protection that Aiden provides. And this is the best defense that the bucks will go against in the playoffs. And I think their offense is really, really going to struggle. And, and to counter that point, the key is going to, is Giannis going to be able to recreate some of what he was finding in game seven against Brooklyn when he was attacking Blake Griffin and getting whatever he wants. Cause if he decides to do that, makes things different i just worry 80 percent of Giannis is not going to be enough to do that so i i'm going to lean the suns here as as the overall healthier uh and more defensively sound team um so there you have it it's uh it's a good well-balanced uh discussion we've got here and and guys taking different sides of the coin do you have we uh done a look back on our predictions versus each other thus far in the nba playoffs because I'm pretty sure I know who's ahead on those, but yeah, it, this is no heart pick. Like so I said, I want to bring I've, this up now before this series plays out. Yeah. Like I've said early in the podcast, I've been wrong many, many times. So whenever I get the victories, I, I love to take a lap on them. Um, I think I took the Hawks against the Sixers, the Bucks against the Nets and the Bucks against the Hawks. So. Not too shabby, not too shabby. And the Suns against the Lakers. Yeah. I'm trying to remember all the ones we... I would say some injuries helped you out there, but um, yeah, whatever. Take the W where you can get it, right? Only you're a gambling man. Uh, we got some international hoops to talk about. Olympic qualifying. Uh, the Canadian national team consisting of, I believe, nine NBA players on the roster and, and a couple of foreign guys uh anthony bennett included <laughs> that's a name we haven't heard in a while uh they lose a tough one to the czech republic in the semi-final of the qualifying they didn't even get to the final um they looked so good in their two tune-up games against greece and china and then fell apart um and thomas sataransky plus whoever else uh International basketball is so weird, man. It's like because of the way the game is played and the way that the rules are different, guys who aren't – it takes away a little bit of that athleticism that NBA players have to, to their advantage. And uh, when the shooting doesn't go down, like Canada's shooting wasn't, uh, then you're going to struggle to stay in ball games. And Andrew Wiggins, a remarkable game-tying shot. Uh, and then Sadoransky with an even more perplexing game winner, kind of just like two hand shot, put it at the rim and it banked in a tough, tough loss. There were a lot of hopes riding on this team, but you just got to hope four years from now, you add Jamal Murray, you add Shade Gilgis Alexander. Um, you got Andrew Nemhard coming up through from Gonzaga. He'll probably be drafted next season or maybe later in this draft. I'm not sure where he's projected to go yet still got to do a little bit more draft research uh, but the future is bright for Canadian basketball disappointing that they couldn't get it done this year but there are lots of guys that that they could go and grab to to make a run at it four years from now 
yeah, this is if you look at the age of the team and all the NBA players on it, there's no one who should be worse four years from now. Everyone should only be better. You hope to dear God your two best players aren't injured and there's nothing but optimism ahead for this team, but it's tough for now. Yeah. If you want a feel-good Olympic story, basketball-wise, um, we've got you, though, because Luka Doncic, with a triple-double, taking Slovenia to the Olympics for the first time, and I have no idea how long, if not ever. I, there you go. Um, and maybe <laughs> going to change his or gave that interview. I don't know how controversially it was received saying Olympic gold would mean more to him than an NBA title. It shows a lot of patriotism. It, I also can't remember if it was specifically addressing the Mavericks or just a ring in general. It's understandable that he's a lot more attached to the country he was born in than the team he was drafted for. He'll only ever play for one country. He may play for many NBA teams that remains to be seen. Um, if the off-season stories about how he feels on Porzingis and just the team's direction and coaching are true, that may come to fruition sooner rather than later. But man, with the NBA playoff format or the, excuse me, Olympic playoff format, one game, some European players you've never heard of, hotter than you think, some perplexing rules, some absolute stellar one-man basketball, and who knows how far the Slovenian team will go, but possibly, probably the team to root for, unless they could just make an Eastern European powerhouse, like put Doncic, Jokic, and I don't know who else together. Bring back the USSR. <laughs> exactly, just for one for one Olympic run. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm sure many of those players would tell you they wouldn't appreciate that. But we can dream of a, uh, what is it, like the World Cup of Hockey North America type team where you just group players by region. That'd be a cool idea for another day, uh, but not for this one. Yes, we'll add our dream temporarily to that of like every 19-year-old undergrad arts student. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, we are going to take one more break and then we'll, we will be back to wrap up the show. And we're back, Sports Next Door. Uh, Montreal folks, hide your automobiles tonight. <laughs> they will get flipped. It was a definitely the closest fought contest of the four so far. Um, some questionable calls both ways, some posts being hit. Lots and lots of action, both ends, but the Montreal Canadiens once again prevail in overtime. A uh, huge story for this team, and the team of destiny vibes are are still alive. They're they're sparking. It's it's the last embers, but it's still there. Um, they get contributions from all different places and manage to come through on the penalty kill once again. And Josh Anderson keeps this thing alive that's a it's a big win for them and and tampa to tampa's mayor be careful what you wish for um in a presser she gave she was asking for uh, a game five in tampa to close it out at home so careful there lady indeed huge credit to josh anderson earlier in the third driving the net gets a little tripped up there a lot tripped up there doesn't get the call doesn't get the goal but keeps at it and what a play the one-handed shovel in front of the net that goal pretty much all him and what an emblematic play of this team just 110 percent effort giving it put the puck on net and see what happens they get the bounds i had to see that replay about four times before i understood that the puck was even in the net let alone how it got in the net another game where they managed to hang in there carry price bails them out big at times they definitely had the momentum running at times but i feel like tampa was the better team their penalty kill coming up huge all the trademarks of their success throughout these playoffs present in that game and this is a team where that you do not want sparks to go because if they catch fire 
it's going to go another trend that continues uh they get the first goal and they pull it out whereas most of this series Tampa has come out leading and Montreal's never really managed to get in the game. So game five, I'll, I'll be looking at how hard Tampa's going to come out and try and not let them get that first goal, not let them get ahead because that seems to be a huge indicator of how successful they will be in the game. But despite being completely outplayed for three games, I we've seen them come back down from three to one. Who's to say the, it can't happen again? For those listening on audio, I just had to take a sip of beer as I got those words out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, it's and and Tampa came out with that energy. They I was I said it a couple times. I was surprised Montreal is the team with their with the cup on the line, and they came out pretty flat in that first period for the most part. But they end up holding on and getting that first goal, which was really big for them. 15 minutes in and the shots are something like 11 to one, maybe it was seven to one, but the second shot on goal goes in for Montreal. And again, so emblematic of what a lot of this team's playoff success has looked like. And then, hang in and... Yeah. and then alternatively, Tampa coming out really flat on the power play, I thought, to start that overtime where this is it. You can go for the kill right here. No Shea Weber. Um, your power play has looked pretty lethal all night um, for the most part. Like Montreal, great penalty kill. Tampa, great power play. So you're going to get your chances. And they really struggled for the first minute and a half and didn't generate a lot. And um, that was their opportunity. And it seemed like they it seemed like at that point they were a team that was thinking, okay, we have four games to work with here. Let's see what happens feel back home and i expect they're a crazy effort i i feel like they're gonna lock it down next game but um yeah i was surprised that they they didn't at least look more threatening on that power play no the the puck movement has looked great at times and i almost felt like there there were a couple slot one-timers they turned their nose up at where they probably should just be pulling the trigger and yeah that's the game of hockey like you said earlier some posts for tampa but we've got a series on our hands absolutely looking forward to uh i imagine wednesday night yes all right before we get to baseball i did want to touch on it because it it is the big storyline and it's just absolutely tragic what happened today um the passing of the Columbus goaltender whose name I don't even want to try and disrespect by pronouncing. So we're going to go with Kiwi and uh, fireworks are no jokes, folks. And like horrifying, unbelievably tragic. And I just, I had to mention it because um, it was so shocking and saddening to hear today. And uh want to send out our best wishes to the family and and use it as another reminder that like <laughs> it, it you feel invincible at our age but you, you really gotta be careful at times and I guess Max that's something you got to keep with you when you're going out in the streets of Montreal tonight to to party yeah we'll make the once again tough transition out of that moment um to a final baseball bit before we wrap up the podcast, I wanted to take two quick minutes to shout out once again, Showtime, Shohei Otani. Uh, he is now at 31 home runs on this at this on the season, just like crushing the competition. He's had a really hot couple of weeks just mashing against New York and Baltimore in back-to-back series. He is the first player since Babe Ruth um, to make 10 plus starts and hit um upwards of 25 home runs he articles now are writing that he isn't just Babe Ruth he's better and to be honest like yeah he's basically the evolutionary version right just to be doing it in this era with what we've talked about the difficulties of how good pitchers are today let alone he's one of those pitchers which also puts an unimaginable strain on the body yeah it's what are the are records 
Yeah, it, it is truly remarkable. And as a result, he is the first player in MLB history to be named an all-star as a pitcher and a position player. Um, this this is a, a moment where um, the all-star game comes into effect where it's sometimes when things are close, you recognize the better story on the all-star team. As if you look at the stats, um, he got roughed up pretty bad a couple starts ago, which which contributed to this. But his stats are now kind of sitting around league, even subpar league average. So there's nothing special there. It's just the the fact that he could be the first, and he certainly deserves to be an all star. Um, just kind of <laughs> where do you put him? I think his his uh, offensive stats have far outweighed his pitching stats, but it's still really really cool and. So once again, recognizing Shohei Otani, he has been the story of the season so far. If only the Los Angeles Angels could stop squandering uh, historic talents every season. It is, we think, as hockey fans especially, like we look at the greatest hockey player of all time, Wayne Gretzky, and the numbers he put up and just talk about that was a different era. We'll never see anything like it again. And baseball with steroids and just differences and what we've talked about pitching right now very much a similar story of oh that was a different era back then we'll never see that again so to be seeing it is pretty damn mind-blowing and yeah just shout out Shohei <laughs> looking forward to I think he's participating in the home run derby so that in itself will be a spectacle. I won't watch the actual all-star game, but I'll definitely watch a bit of the home run derby because that's always just a fun time. Um, no Vladdy, which is unfortunate because he was a monster last year, but uh, he will be in the all-star game. So I think he was the highest vote getter as well. So shout out to my boy, Vlad. Blue Jays have four all-stars. Uh, Vlad, Bo, uh, Simeon, who's been unbelievable this season low uh, like under the radar just like the best second offensive second baseman in the league um and then of course uh teoscar hernandez so shout out to all of those guys congrats on the achievement um let's let's turn that all-star break into a uh, strong final stretch here they're only four games back of a wild card spot so it's definitely attainable look for them to be making some moves coming up here around the trade deadline and and we'll be all over that reporting on this podcast so yeah that does it for this one thanks everyone so much for listening uh shout out to me for hanging in there late into an overtime game it's it's been a while since i've stayed up this late so um it's gonna be pain tomorrow at work but sometimes you gotta take one for the team during the stanley cup playoffs <laughs> during the stanley cup finals Exactly. Even more so. Um, Better record on the latest we've ever clocked Owen with the red light on. Cheers to that. Sports Next Door signing out.